0: Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Drew Kreisman. Always excited to be talking baseball with you. Got a little bit of Rockies news up front, and then I figured I'd dive into the reason why I'm more or less perfectly okay with all of these new rule changes that appear to be coming to baseball and some of the ones that aren't. Uh, I'll dive into all of that. Talked a little bit about it with our our guy, Mark Knudson, but I wanted to make sure you know we got his takes and everything and so i will share mine with you today but let's begin with uh, one of these frustrating bits of rockies news that always feels like it's a lot worse than it probably is in practice and when we don't have any information uh people are bound to speculate and when you start speculating about the rockies it almost always goes in the most negative direction possible but that is For those of you that don't know, uh, the news that came out just today is first reported by Patrick Saunders and then by several others who are down at (laughs) minor league spring training, kind of uh, a version of baseball spring training that's sort of happening right now. And uh, reporting that the Rockies have parted ways with, or I guess fired, um, the director of analytics who they hired just seven months ago, Scott Van Lenten. Uh, Now, of course, the obvious and easy slam dunk on the Rockies take here which I've seen all over Twitter is of course well they must have hated that he was a smart analytics guy and so they got rid of him because of that because the Rockies are a joke because they don't really care about analytics that Scott must have walked in the room started telling them real maths they got mad and they fired him now of course this is 100% speculation and I actually don't buy it at all uh, because I think if that was the case, uh, the Rockies wouldn't have hired him in the first place. And if it was uh, the case that they were just annoyed by outside organization ideas that they just couldn't handle the the all of that, they would have fired all the other brand new analytics people they brought in from outside the organization as well. Uh, you know, just knowing how they operate and knowing how sometimes these things go. And I'm not going to dive deeper into this statement, but trust me when I tell you That a lot of times your work, the consistency of your work, none of that has anything to do with whether or not you just don't vibe uh, in a situation, right? And they they got rid of him for whatever reason. The thing here is, and I need to come up with a category uh, for this because this happens pretty regularly. I feel like if I named it the David Dahl conundrum, like no one would really get it. Only I'd have to explain every single time what I mean by that. But essentially the situation where people who yesterday or the day before were not giving the Rockies credit for having hired Scott Van Lenten in the first place are now absolutely convinced that the fact that he's leaving means something specific about the thing they weren't ready to give them credit for in the first place, right? So they weren't about to say, well, the fact that the Rockies hired Scott Van Lenten and all of these other people means that they're very serious about analytics now. But the fact that they fired him means that they aren't serious about analytics now, right? You get it? So it was the same thing where nobody was making the argument that David Dahl was about to break out and be a superstar player for the Colorado Rockies the day before it was announced that he got... Now I'm trying to remember if he was non-tendered or I think that was it, right? When they cut, when they part ways with David Dahl, whatever the exact specific situation was, they decided not to pay him $3 million to come back and be hurt again, which is exactly what happened when he went and signed with Texas, right? So people who, you know, the day before, if I had brought up David Dahl as a potential reason why the Rockies could have been better the following season, would have laughed in my face and said, oh my God, how can you count on David Dahl? were the first people who, the second he's gone, went, oh my God, the Rockies are so stupid. David Dahl's going to be an all-star next year. He wasn't going to be an all-star next year if he was with the Rockies. He was only going to be an all-star next year once he left. And so there's a similar kind of thing going on here, where people never wanted to give credit for these hires in the first place, but now with, and I will admit, this looks bad and weird, uh, but with it again happening after seven months that just suggests to me that there was just a communication a personality issue and that probably is more from what we know in their history on the rockies i don't know scott i never met scott i never had the opportunity uh to meet scott van so i have i have no idea uh you know what went on and frankly neither does anybody else and it's not going to stop people from speculating and acting like that speculation is truth and that's why you know there are so many Unfortunately, there are just so many things about the Rockies themselves that the fans aren't knowledgeable on. And I think that's really frustrating because, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the media is there to help parse actual information, not to misinform you. And along these same lines, right, I ran a poll on my own personal Twitter page the other day. So people who follow me specifically closely, and I'm shouting about this kind of stuff all the time, and I asked the question... How much net money did the Rockies gain or lose in the Nolan Arenado trade? And of course, a strong majority of people voted for they lost $50 million because that's how it's always talked about. That's how it's always reported. That's the meme. That's the conversation. That's also not true. 28% of people got the question right. The Rockies actually gained about a net of $148 million. Now, we can move the goalposts and start diving into whether or not it's a good thing that they saved money, whether or not that was a terrible, cynical thing that they did, and how they're going to spend it in the future. Those are all different conversations than whether or not the audience is informed properly about what happened. And far too often with this Colorado Rockies team, people get caught up in the immediate aftermath, the joke, the, you know, and... If a month from now the Rockies have hired a new analytics person and they're just as qualified and the analytics department does do all of the things that it's supposed to do and improves in all the ways that it's supposed to uh, improve. Nobody's going to come back to this moment and be like, oh, wow, we all overreacted about the Scott Van Lenten thing. The same way, none of the people who were making a huge deal about the David Dahl thing went back and said, oh, yeah, I guess I guess we were wrong and the Rockies were right on that one. They never do that, right? They never go back and say, well, we we that, that was overblown, right? They, as it turned out, the Rockies knew more about David Dahl than we did, and they probably made the right call to not pay him $3 million to come back and not play baseball for them. And so... You know, it could be a very similar thing here. I don't know. I don't know, one way or the other. This this could be an epic disaster. They could have screwed up their one relationship with a guy who knew and understood how to fix them. Now I don't. I don't really buy that either. I think as a joke, our guy Dan Zamborski, who I'm still hoping to have on the podcast sometime this week, uh, sent out a thing about how Scott Van Lenton was the only person who knew how to fix the Rockies. Which I think is really funny, but also highly unlikely, considering he just got here. <laughs> you know, it was like it's like I, I don't think he'd solved the problem. Uh, right away, you know, and I would be very frustrated and I'm, I'm obviously going to dig around and talk to as many people as I can about the situation, see if I can figure out what actually happened. And of course it would be frustrating if what happened was that he started bringing them information and trying to force them to do things that they didn't want to do that would be good for the team. That would be smarter for the team going away from the superstar model. Um, investing much more heavily in certain analytical concepts and certain types of players that maybe aren't as sexy to ownership and fans but can end up leading to a better product on the field like i doubt it though i I really do i i I would be shocked if they were just like no we don't want to do all those things and we're firing you because of it uh i i would again guess but that's what everyone is doing here Uh, that it really had something more to do with the personalities just not meshing. And if that ends up costing the Rockies, it's really too bad. And personalities not meshing has cost the Rockies in the past. And so it's absolutely something that they should be criticized for if that's what actually went down. Until then, I'm going to stick to my usual analysis of seeing, you know, what happens, what is actually rendered in the long run, rather than, uh, taking everything that can possibly look negative about the team and saying, oh, yeah, that's going to be a train wreck. Or, yeah, that is you know, all I need. that That's proof that they don't care about this thing. <laughs> they just went out and completely revitalized the entire department. If they didn't care about analytics, they never would have done any of this stuff in the first place. That doesn't make any sense. And again, they would have fired the entire team and not just one guy. So I get it. And I know Rockies fans, there's a segment of them out there that really hate it when I do this, when I come on to these podcasts or radio shows on Mile High Sports, or I go on Twitter and I I tell people to (laughs) calm down or relax, right? Anyone who's ever been in an argument with someone knows that telling the other person just to calm down is usually not (laughs) uh, the best way to go, but oftentimes being calm and, and taking a deep breath and thinking about the situation holistically instead of running straight to the most you know damning possible conclusion because it feels potentially right because this team screws everything up you know i I, I think it's worthwhile so take it whichever way you want um but yeah I'll, I'll be right here weeks or months from now when they've hired somebody else talking about who that person is and the job that they're doing and not trying to, create these constant ongoing narratives that, quite frankly, in my estimation, just overly simplify any number of things that are oftentimes far more complicated. And it's just what human beings tend to do when we don't have information, we'll reach a simple conclusion, right? Uh, The more information we have, the more nuanced things get, the more we realize, ah, it's a bit more complicated than that, the the harder it is to be self-righteously indignant about them. And... You know, that's just one of those things. That's why I try to stay away from that emotion in general. And and I try to be more of an information finder and giver. So I will seek out more information on this. If I come across any of it, of course, I will come here and share it with you all. In the meantime, if you are somebody who was actually excited, and again, that's why most of the people who are kicking up dust right now are not people who were excited about Scott Van Lenten two or three days ago. So, I'll speak just to the people who if you were legitimately intrigued and excited by the fact that the Rockies went out and reorganized and revitalized their analytics department, then you sh- should still be. You you should still be excited about that even if the, you know, head of the snake as it were has has been cut off here. There's still a lot of talented people from outside the organization with a focus and education on analytics who are doing things for the Rockies that people haven't been doing for the last couple of years. And they have said that they intend to replace Scott Van Lutten. And there's lots and lots of highly qualified analytics people out there for them to go and get. And so, like with any ball player, again, like it was with David Dahl, I'm just going to sit here and go, well, they lost X, so they need to make up for it with Y. But a lot of people are really overreacting to X just because they can, because no one's going to hold them accountable for it. There's no way to prove anything one way or the other. And then... Like with the doll situation, it won't be until six or seven months later that they might have to go, oh, yeah, I guess we were wrong about that. But they won't because everyone will have forgotten about it and moved on to something else. Okay, let's move over to the, oh, I'm not sure if that siren came through the the mic I'm using here, but that was oddly timed right as I'm changing... uh, Conversation topics here. I did want to get into the kind of three main things that have been bandied about. Again, I talked with them. I talked about them with Mark Knudsen, uh, but here's my take on banning the shift, making the bases bigger, and the pitch clock. Let's start with the those last two because I feel like they fit in the exact same category of I don't need it, but I don't hate it. Fine, whatever. Uh, the pitch clock is something that, quite frankly, has annoyed the crap out of me for a long time. As I said with Mark. There are already rules about how long you're allowed to take between pitches, and the umpire already has a mechanism in the rule book that allows them to count a ball against the pitcher if he takes too long. I don't think we need a big, ugly digital clock in every Major League Baseball park across America so that, I don't know what, the fans can count down from 30 as well so that they know that it adds a a certain amount of tension to whether or not the pitcher is going to make it to throwing in time. Some of these things have been implemented throughout the minors. Most pitchers get on the mound and throw the ball before the time set anyway. And I don't think this does anything. I really don't. At the same time, enough people have decided that they want it, that they think that it can do something. And I'm not so sure it hurts anything. I feel like I can just ignore it. You know, the the only thing is going to be the big, ugly clock. I don't want them putting it on my TV screen. I don't want them putting it, you know, I don't want to have to look at it in a, a ballpark. It just doesn't feel like it fits to me, but... Whatever, if it's going to make these other people really happy, if it if it's something that the players can, you know, acquiesce to in order to get important things done, then fine. Put a pitch clock out there. Do whatever, you know. In, in my perfect world of baseball, when the home plate umpire is no longer calling balls and strikes, but more of a game manager out there, he's there to check on things like plays at the plate, check swings, uh, making sure that everyone's, you know... Moving the game along, and and therefore have it, you know he'd be in charge of the pitch clock. We wouldn't need to see it. It's just if anyone got past that magical number, whatever they decide it should be, and I think it's been thirty seconds for a while. Maybe we decide it needs to be twenty-five or even twenty. Get on the mound, throw the ball, and maybe we need some rules for batters getting back into the box and all of that. But but ultimately, that should be umpire discretion, and the umpires just need to be better at enforcing that rule. And, you know, for all the things we talk about with umpires and all the control that they want to have over the game in ways they really shouldn't, making calls that they shouldn't and, and doing all of this nonsense, that's a place where, you know, some of these guys who really like to be in control really can be in control. Say, like, get on the mound, throw the ball, or oh, I'm calling a ball on you. Let's get the baseball delivered over the plate, you know? So the pitch clock thing for me, yeah, I've never liked it, I've never wanted it, but I've gotten to a place where if other people really think it's going to help and they're going to give, you know, my side, something we want in return, like higher pay for players, more of a bonus pool, um, any number of other things, eventually the electronic strike zone, then I'm all for it. The bigger bases, it's the same thing, right? I don't need bigger bases. I don't know, Mark and I went over this, Are they? Uh, is it really going to have a significant reduction on injuries around the bag? Is it really going to increase the number of guys trying to steal bases and all of that? I tend to think, probably not but again I'm not I'm not offended by it either I saw the you know I can't remember who sent it out I retweeted the other day there's so many baseball things going on these days but they just said oh my gosh the the new base size is significantly bigger and they sent out the picture of it I was just like "Eh, eh, whatever it's a couple inches bigger all the way around a little bit bigger than I maybe thought they were talking but certainly not Egregious, and I honestly believe if they implemented that, if they not, not told a single person and just made the bases bigger next season, I'd say seventy to eighty percent of baseball fans wouldn't notice, wouldn't notice at all. Uh, you know, unless it really did start to have an impact on the game, unless we we all have to start writing about wow, stolen bases are up. You know wh- why? Well, a little bit, but I don't think it's going to add that much to the to the stolen base game. I really don't. I'd love to see it, honestly. That I. Uh, The run game is something I'd love to see come back to baseball. Uh, The small ball is something that I think, I actually think it's more viable than most analytics people think it is already in the game today. But if this made it even that much more viable, then I'm all for it. But again, these two things fall into the category for me of, I don't really see too much of a downside, you know, even though I wouldn't be the one in the room pushing for these changes, if other people really want them, I'm not going to stand up and argue like, no, no bigger bases, no pitch clock, because whatever, right? <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't negatively impact my enjoyment of the game to have those things. So if it positively impacts somebody else's enjoyment, go right ahead. Let's get into, well, before I get into the shift thing, because that's the one I really like, I mentioned the electronic strike zone thing because it sounds like that's not going to happen. And a lot of people were surprised that I said that I was okay with this. Look, obviously, I've wanted the electronic strike zone implemented for years. Um, And, you know, there's a bit of a misnomer when they say the technology isn't ready because the technology isn't ready. And that is the reason why, you know, we need to wait another year or two and why the players union came out and said, let's not implement it this year or next, but let's revisit the topic. And I think that that's a good way to go. I think it's unfortunate, and the reason the technology isn't ready is because Major League Baseball has been dragging their feet on this for the better part of a decade. The worst part of a decade, I should say. (laughs) But, you know, if, if they'd put the resources into making this happen years ago, we'd be able to implement the electronic strike zone tomorrow, and everyone would be for it, except for the umpires union. But it's not there yet, and I think the players have rightfully recognize that and put that conversation off for another couple of years and while it's frustrating to me absolutely because i know that the electronic strike zone is it's inevitable first of all it's going to happen everyone it's just a matter of time before enough people realize oh yeah this is better and i'm holding on to an idea of human element or whatever other quite frankly just kind of nonsense that doesn't make sense that, that people have decided to prioritize things over whether or not the game is called fairly and correctly. Like, super bizarre to me. Um, some people have carved out this... Really strange logic where, whereby they think, but, but those people are dramatically in the minority. And a lot of them, I think, anymore are just doing it for a, a kind of contrarian thing because it's just not logical anymore to want, to not want to use the system that can get the calls right. It just doesn't make any sense. So all we have to do now is make sure that that system is calibrated properly and getting the calls right and prove to everybody that their one legitimate critique, which is, hey, sometimes the technology messes up too, can get ironed out a bit. And, of course, (laughs) it's still the case that the technology messes up less than the human umpires, but we just as human beings are more okay with the fallibility of humans than we are with the fallibility of technology. So, we'll get there. Okay, the final one uh, that I wanted to talk about today is, of course the shift Uh, anyone who's listened to me or been reading my content for a while knows that I flipped on this last year I'd always been against banning the shift with a lot of the same talking points that I'm sure people who aren't going to agree with me throughout what I'm about to say would point out anything from hey hit the ball where they ain't you know be a more contact driven thoughtful full field hitter and they won't shift on you to, you know, don't tell the manager what he can and can't do with his players as far as a strategy and trying to take away base hits. All of that stuff, right? You know, and and I think some of that stuff even remains. And quite frankly, and going back to the bigger base thing or just the reintroduction of small ball, I would love it if that was a solution. But if that was going to be a solution, it would have been one by now. Look, these guys are incredible ball players. They're absolutely fantastic. There's nobody better at making contact with Major League pitching than the guys out there doing it right now. Well not right now, because we're locked out, but you know what I mean. Um and it's just not a reasonable thing to ask. I, I think the people saying, oh, just hit the ball the other way are Quite frankly, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to put anybody down who's listening who may be you know, of that belief, but quite frankly, that's not a reasonable thing to ask a ball player to do in the modern game. There is a way of pitching to the shift. There is a way of, you, you can't hit a cutter in on your hands the other way, unless you just swung way late and did it on accident. There's only so much that bat manipulation can do in order for a player to be able to place the hit where they want. Look, Tony Gwynn, Juan Pierre, Kenny Lofton, and yes, my guy, Rymal Tapia, are fun players to enjoy and, and watch them do that, but most players can't, and they aren't built that way. The same way, you know, and and saying, well, they just should be able to is kind of like saying, well, every center in the NBA should be a three-point shooter just because there are some who can do that. Yeah, but not all of them can. You know, every quarterback in the NFL should also be a really good runner because there are lots of guys who run. It's like, yeah, but if you can't, if you don't have that skill set, then you don't have that skill set. You've got to be successful with what got you there. And for a lot of these guys, that's hitting the ball in the gap and over the wall, which is a much more valuable thing to do. Anyway, all the shift does, and it ultimately does it equally across all teams, which is why I'm fine with putting it back, is take more offense out of the game when, arguably, the players have earned it, right? So I talk about this a lot. The the dynamic of baseball is, of course, the batter versus the pitcher, right? That is is the main thing that's happening. 90% of the time, that's going to determine the outcome of the game. And the pitcher can win the encounter or lose the encounter, and of course luck is gonna still play a role one way or the other, right? You lose the encounter as a pitcher if you give up a 110 mile an hour line drive, even if that line drive was hit right at somebody. Like you still lost that encounter, right? And all the shift does is increase the number of times where the pitcher can lose, can be beaten by the hitter, but still get the out. So for me, during the All-Star game last year, when these incredibly talented hitters are hitting these frozen ropes that would have been hits in 100 years plus of baseball, and instead they're going right to fielders who just happen to be standing in the spot, we've, we've taken a great deal of fun and excitement and energy and momentum out of the game in favor of clever positioning. And it's a game of entertainment. Of course it is. And that needs to be thought of from the beginning. I've made this analogy before and plenty of other people have, but it's absolutely the right one. The same thing happened in the NBA when all of a sudden these enormous seven-footers, people like Shack body size, you know, and 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 really before that, started coming along and being regularities in the game, and they went, man, we can't just let these enormous dudes camp out underneath the basket to defend it, right? To just stand there and basically take away dunks and layups. If you can just stand there as a guy who's seven two. 350 pounds, you know, just bodying up everybody like no guard was ever going to get to dunk the basketball ever again. So they created the three second rule. You can only stand in the paint for three seconds. You got to get your ass out of there. You got to create some space rules about positioning that limit the ability for a defender to just stand in one spot and take away offense. That's far more fun and dynamic to watch. And that is exactly what we're talking about in Major League Baseball. I don't know the specifics of the rules that have been suggested, but I, I want two very simple, very basic rules. Draw a line from second base to center field. and There have to be two defenders on either side of it, meaning that you can still shift all day with your two guys on the left side. You want to pull them up the middle, you know, have the two guys on the right side way over by the line, and you've still got kind of a shift. Cool, but you can't have three guys on the right side. Can't take four guys and put them over on the right side. And the other thing, so again, one rule, two guys on either side of the line. And then the second rule, all the infielders got to have their feet on the dirt. That's it. Other than that, move around to your heart's content. There will still be plenty of hard line drives back up the middle that can be caught, though, like I was talking about with Mark, it's still you know, a couple of steps and you got to make a play. You know, you got to make a play at the very least because it's just not fun to go, oh wow, they really were shifted well on that one. And I've written this before and I, and I really want people to take the time to consider this if you're anti-banning the shift. Because I get it too. I, I really do get, like, again, you could put it in the same category with the other things I was talking about. The pitch clock and the big bases of like why? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? But here I think there is a much, there. there is a very clear problem. It's that problem of the hitter beat the pitcher by hitting the ball really hard into play and the pitcher gets bailed out, not because his defender made a great play, but because the numbers ahead of time that tell everybody the exact same thing, you know, moved a defender into the right position. I think if we get rid of the shift, or at least the extreme shift uh, like I'm talking about here, I know we'll have farm we'll have more singles, we'll have more base runners, we'll have more scoring, we'll have more offense. And that's good for the game. It just is. And In in, in the times where there's still, you know, there will still be pitchers' duels. There absolutely still will will be pitchers' duels. There were before teams started extreme shifting on everybody. You know, guys threw no hitters and perfect games in the nineties, in the eighties, absolutely. But we will see a return to the legitimacy of small ball. Essentially, what it does is it makes baseball viable to be played in multiple ways. Instead of saying every single team basically just needs to be filled up with boppers who hit the ball over everybody the idea of hitting the ball through the defense or just around the defense can return to the game of baseball. And hardliners through the infielder to through the infield can go back to being hits much of the time. Obviously not all the time. There's still gonna be line drives right at guys or whatever. But to me it's just gonna make the game uh much more dynamic, much less of this three true outcomes stuff, which I don't always hate, but sometimes I do like it just gets tiring. It gets old. And and watching every team feel like they have to play the same style of baseball rather than, you know, teams having different identities and, and mixing things up is boring and oftentimes frustrating to me. So, you know, I, I, like I said, this is something I've totally switched on. I used to think, you know, hey, lay down a bunt or slap the ball the other way or, you know, just whatever. Learn to be beat the shift. You know, that, don't ban the shift, beat the shift. That used to be my mantra. But now I realize that's kind of ridiculous. And I also realize that almost all the other sports have these exact kinds of rules that determine where people can be positioned before the play starts. And the rules are designed with the exact same kind of intent, which is to give the offense a fairer opportunity to create offense when they do a good thing. You know, in basketball, it's if you beat your defender and you drive to the lane, you know, if you've timed it right and the big guy's not camped down underneath there, well, then your good play has led to a good result. Same thing with the hard line drive here. So for me, yes. Don't ban, you know, obviously players can move around. I think that's another thing. People say ban the shift. Some people get, you know, take an extreme interpretation of that and think, oh no, we can't completely ban the shift. Players got to be able to move around. Managers need to be able to, if the guy's an extreme pole hitter, you know, move your defenders over a little bit. And you still can. You can move that shortstop all the way over to the bag. He's just got to have both feet to the shortstop side of the bag, but he'll still be in position to maybe a couple of steps, make a play on that ball up the middle, you know, be more shielded over, I'm sorry, sorry, shifted over that way. And then the second baseman, you know, is going to have to cover that ground in between first and third, and that's going to create space. And I just think that that's a, a better situation for everybody. And, of course, if and when this happens, uh, I feel like Carlos Gonzalez <laughs> a few other players are going to be, really, now, Cargo would still be out there playing. Cargo would have, I don't know, 200 more hits in his career, if not for the shift. Um. So, yeah, I, I think rather than, because we've been doing it for 10, 15, maybe close to 20 years now, rather than just telling ballplayers to do something that clearly isn't feasible... And telling someone like Carlos Gonzalez, well, just completely change everything about your game and your approach, and try to do something that again, you, you got to take into mind when those guys are shifted over. The pitcher's not going to throw you anything away, you know, anything to take the ball away. So you you've, you've got to try to hit the ball. Now you're this huge slugger who you'd much rather be up there trying to hit a home run. You're getting cutters in on your hands, and people are going, just hit the ball the other way. <laughs> it's a 96 mile an hour cutter, dude. And not so easy. It's a pitch you have to pull. So now the trick is just get underneath it. Well, now we've got all these strikeouts. So if you if you don't like the three true outcomes style of baseball, I think banning the shift is one of the best things that we can do for it. And one of the things that, and here's the very last thing I'll say about this, is we've all had this experience, right, where we've been watching a baseball game, and a guy does, like I talked about during the All-Star game, your player hits a frozen rope right back up the middle or or maybe to the right side and instead of it going as a base hit as it would have for 140 years of baseball it's right at a defender and you go ah damn and you think well without the shift man that would have been a hit and depending on you know if there are people on base that might have been a run or whatever right and so we've all had that feeling of where you go ah man shifted I do not believe for a single solitary second that any baseball fan will experience the opposite feeling if the shift is banned. Which is to say, if we put in the rule that I was just talking about for this upcoming season, two players on either side, all the infielders on the grass, you know, do whatever the hell you want with your outfielders. If we put that rule in and all of a sudden that hard grounder or line drive back up the middle or through the right side is a base hit. I don't believe there's any baseball fan anywhere who's going to go, "Oh man. That's a base hit now, but that used to be an out when you were back when you were allowed to shift." Man, that Man, there used to be less offense in this game. I miss the days where you could just put a defender right there. I don't believe a single person will do that. So imagine the world And all there is is more times where guys hit the ball hard and are rewarded for it by being on base. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, man, this sucks. Let's go back to how it was before. I missed the shift. I don't believe we'll hear that ever. So as much as you may not think it's a problem, as much as you may have, you know, in your head a solution for it, which is to hit the ball the other way. Ask yourself that question. Seriously, if they implemented the rule where you just had to have two players on either side and everyone on the dirt. Do you really think you'd be watching baseball pining for the days when guys could shift? If every team has to follow the same sets of rules and therefore every team is theoretically, you know, maybe depending on how many contact hitters they have, but certainly at an equal opportunity to create more offense. What's the problem? Right there. There. So again, we ask, what's the problem on either side? For me, the problem is not enough offense not enough small ball not enough momentum in the game on the flip side if we were to ban the shift what would be the negative? Managers would have slightly less freedom to do what they want like who's missing that game? I'm not even sure managers would miss it <laughs> it's like, and how much time would it take off of, you know, in between when the guys, when the third baseman's got to run over to the second base position, <laughs> or the shortstop has to run over to the other side of the diamond in the middle of an at bat? Let's just get rid of all of that. Let's streamline this. So let me know what you think on all these issues, where you're at on the Scott Van Lenten thing, what you think about these rules, if there's any other rules you'd love to see implemented, We've already talked about Universal DH enough. That's been coming for a while. I'll get deeper into the extended postseason thing once we know exactly how many games it's going to be. And like I said you know, I still do plan to have Dan Zemborski on sometime this week. I was assuming it was going to be to talk about just how deadlocked and frustrating and and infuriating all this stuff was, but we may actually have a new CBA by the time I can have Dan on. Either way, you know, I want to dive into everything that happened here, and and I think I'd almost, especially if they are going to get it done this week, I'd like to have him on after and talk about, you know, this new system and, and whether or not it's going to be beneficial to the game of baseball because I think you'll be really helpful for that conversation. So look forward to that. Make sure you check out the podcast with Mark Knudsen on uh, that you've got this 20th and Blake downloaded on whatever your normal podcast app is that you're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com, both for uh, myself and of course, all of the sports here. You got to get all your Russell Wilson to the Broncos coverage here at milehighsports.com. I appreciate you all for listening in and hope you will continue to be awesome out there. You know I will continue to be Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.